it's good to see all your bright and bright faces. <laughs> Not everyone's smiling. I don't can't lie. I can't do that. Not up here, but man, I'm, I'm excited for you guys. As I said at, at the welcome stuff, I'm really excited about what I think God is doing and moving. And, and there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of distractions, a lot of things going on. Um, but I, I just believe all my heart um, over the next month or two that we, I just think God's just moving in our midst. And I'm really excited about our small groups and, and all, all this stuff. But I am also very, very excited that we continue to work through Acts. And I promise you, one year, one day, we will finish um, the book of Acts. And everything starting next week we're taking about a six-week break as we go through the different purposes of life and, and and all that stuff but then we will get right back into acts but um i, I love how god works this out because i think we found like the perfect little like break point um in it um this morning so um the idea of truth it, it seems kind of just self-evident and it seems really really simple but we live in a culture where truth is not always truth, or truth is right for you, may not be right for me, and everything. But um, that just that doesn't work. It, it doesn't work to make truth something that's kind of relative. I, I, I think truth is definite. I think truth stands tall, and that truth in the end sets us free and sets people free. Um, truth is something we don't always like to hear. Truth is something that doesn't always make us comfortable. But truth in the end is the thing that sets us free. And so it's vitally important. So this morning, that's really what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about this idea of us being able to share the truth, but also to receive the truth at the same time. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you all around. Just pick one up, um, put your name in and keep it. If you'd rather use an electronic device, you can sign in on our Wi-Fi here, GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, all lower caps, and you can follow along with that. Um, but as always, and especially today when we're speaking about truth, this is the measure, this is the standard of all truth. This is the only words that matter. My words mean absolutely nothing. Um, it's these words that change everything. Um, it's the only reason I get to stand up here every week and, and preach is because of these words and the authority of these words. And so out of respect of that and out of acknowledgement of those words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me. As we look in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16, Luke writes this. He says, once... As we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are, proclaiming to, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you to, in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her right away. When her owners realized that there was hope of pro their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into a marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in an attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they, were, after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you this morning for the opportunity just to, again, speak. 
God, your words, not mine. God, I thank you that there is a standard, there is an absolute of truth, God, and you've said it. So I pray this morning that that's what would pierce our hearts, your truth, your word. God, again, let these be your words, not mine. God, let us, let us have ears to hear and hearts to respond, God, and the courage to live it out. Father, you know where every heart is this morning. You know exactly what needs to be said. You know exactly what needs to be done, Father. And we just pray right now your will be done this morning. God, that you would just move in a great way, Father. And in the end, you would get the credit. You would get the glory. God, and that we would be changed. God, we love you and we praise you. We give you this time. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, yeah, let's talk about truth this morning. Our culture says truth is relative. Our culture right now, we, we have gotten so far to the point where our culture says what's true for you may not be true for me. And I love when people tell me that. It says, well, you know, truth, my truth and your truth not the same. I says, no, no, truth is, no, it's constant. There's, there's truth. No, no, it's good for me. I says, okay, hold your breath, and I'll breathe. We'll, we'll see who lasts longer. Because there are certain things that are kind of set in stone, and I think one of them is, is truth. One of them is that there is a standard, there is something in, in, in a world where everybody says, well, I can just do whatever I want. We see the chaos that that's caused. When, when you start getting into the idea that truth is relative and it's only good, it's only true for you, then someone like Adolf Hitler is not a bad guy. Because that was his truth. Someone like a Stalin's not a bad guy. Because that was just their truth. And yet in our culture, we see outrage against these atrocities, outrage against people doing it. So why is it? Because I believe with all my heart there's a standard of truth and it's been placed in us and we all know it. The problem is, is that people don't like to hear it. And there are consequences for truth. See, when, when you know something, when, 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 you, when you know that something is true and you act against it, then there are consequences and we have to deal with it. And I think that's the biggest issue. I think one of the hardest issues in our culture of us trying to share the gospel and do that is for someone to admit that they have a problem they can't fix. None of us like to hear it, especially if you're a guy. Ladies, that's why we don't ask for directions. <laughs> we don't ever want you to know that we're actually lost. <laughs> I love Google Maps, <laughs> but I made mine a man's voice, so I don't feel so bad that there's a woman telling me where to turn and everything. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but the truth is that there are consequences. Look, look back at this passage. Look back at verse 16. It says, And once as we were on our way to, to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is Paul and Silas. And, and they're walking around, they're preaching, they're doing it all. And all of a sudden this girl, she comes up, and she's crying out in verse 17, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. And I love this, I love this little phrase. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her right away. When her owners realized that there was their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into a marketplace to the authorities. See, the truth is, is truth cost. 
When we understand what truth is and when it penetrates our lives and penetrates our hearts, it changes things. It, it costs us. This girl really, she wasn't hurting anybody, was she? She had a job. She was just grinding. She was saying what was true. Paul and Silas, these guys, they are teaching salvation. They're the servants of the Most High God. It's a true statement. But where she got her truth was the problem. And, and I don't think Paul was annoyed as so much as what she was saying. I think Paul was annoyed because he looked at this girl and he saw that she was being used and enslaved. This was a social issue. Anybody that says the church isn't about social justice doesn't read the same Bible that I read. I, I believe all my heart the church should be leading social justice. The problem is today is we have so much things going for social justice that we've gone all the way to social justice and we've left the gospel behind. Because can I tell you something? You can help somebody. You can help dig a well. You can put shoes on someone's feet. You can help them go to school. But if they don't know Jesus, they're still going to hell. Social justice without the gospel is social injustice. And I think that's what Paul saw. He saw this girl. She was enslaved. And they were using her. And they were making a profit off of her. And so Paul did what Paul knows to do. He commanded in the name of Jesus for that spirit to come out of her. This girl experienced freedom, but her owners, her bosses, realized that they were experiencing loss. And can I tell you something? Sometimes when you and I speak the truth, it's going to cost us. Especially in today's culture. I am so grateful and so blessed and thankful for, for the idea that I get to live in a country where I get to preach and I get to speak. But I'm telling you, the day's coming where my sermons are going to be considered hate speech. In many parts where it, it already is. In many parts of this continent, it already is. There, there's a cost for us when, when, when we actually speak the truth because people don't like it. Because it's going to cost them something. People that are doing things that are self-absorbed, self-interest, self and all focused on them. And we speak truth, it's going to cause ripples. It's, it's going to cost. Truth costs our culture an awful lot, especially today. It's one of the reasons I love Acts. You know, when we get back to this, we're, we're going to be talking about, um, in, in a month or so, when we get back to the book of Acts, we're going to be talking about how much we mirror what's going on in Acts right now. You're talking about a people that had no starting line of who God is, what true faith meant. That when you would talk about things like creation and a God that loves you and all stuff, they had no clue because that was totally foreign to their culture. We live in that culture today. And so what a right place for the gospel to take root. But just know as we speak that, as we stand up in our schools and in our jobs and in our neighborhoods, it's not always going to be popular because truth is going to cost culture something. Because our culture says it's about me. God's truth says, no, it's not. And, and so it cost them. They, you saw they were taken, they were put in prison. It was put on public trial. Look at verse 19. Again, it says, when our owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, when they realized, like, wait a minute, this is hitting my pocket, this is costing us, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. 
And bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joins them in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates strips off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. Here's Paul and Silas. All they're doing is speaking truth. They're speaking hope. They're speaking grace. It goes against culture. There's a problem. And so these guys that are losing money riles up everybody and says, all right, we are all losing money here. And by the way, this is an ongoing theme. We're going to see that again when we see it at Athens. We're going to see that when we see, look in Ephesus and all these places, that wherever the gospel shows up, culture comes back and says, this is costing us. We're losing money off of this. There's something that's happening. But my question for you, and I love that, they, that these guys, these owners, these men, they make this one statement. These men are seriously disturbing our city. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you disturbing our city? Is your faith so evident? Is your witness so bold that it is disturbing our city? Because I got to tell you something, our city needs to be disturbed. Our state, our country, our world needs to be disturbed. We look on the news and we see all the craziness of this planet. We see all the, the wickedness and, 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 and everything. And we are supposed to be light. We're supposed to be these people that carry hope and, and salt and, and love and care and stuff. And it should disturb the city. It should disturb your classroom. And so I'm not saying you stand up in the middle of a table in your lunchroom if you're a student and start yelling at people and tell them, hey, you're all going to hell. I mean, there's a really good chance you're going to get suspended. But I'm saying our faith should be so evident, our truth should be so evident that it disturbs the culture around us. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder if Grace Baptist closed its door, would anybody notice that lives around here? Or would things just keep going on? The unfortunate truth is, is there's so many churches every single week that are closing their doors and nobody has noticed them. Because I believe we've stopped disturbing our cities. We should be the ones speaking out the loudest for those that are widows and orphans. We should be the ones speaking out for the poor, the hopeless, the helpless. We should be the champions of that as the church. That's what God has called us to do. And I'm not talking about doing what the government does is say, hey, everybody gets a handout and you don't have to do anything. I'm saying making real difference. Like I said, the gospel will cost the culture when we speak out. When we're a light, darkness flees. In fact, the definition of darkness is not is not dark, it's the absence of light. Darkness was never supposed to ever even exist. It was always supposed to be light. These gambling establishments all over here that every week I hear someone arguing and saying, why did you, you spend our whole check on what? These families that are struggling, these people I see walking around City Walk every weekend up there that are just drunk off their butts and they have no idea and stuff. And I wonder, says, how? There's so much darkness. All we have to do is be a light. You know, back in my crazy days when I was young and dumb. And I would go and do that sort of stuff in college and be stupid. I, I made an observation in a bar. If you look in a bar, there are no windows. 
or they're all blacked out. Even in restaurants, they're in the darkest part of thing because darkness likes to stay dark. What I'm saying is we should be a light so much that when we walk into a room that something should be disturbed. That's a compliment. You know, I love walking into my work right now at Universal. And I walk in and they all like, oh, watch your language. <laughs> Pastor's here. He's taking notes. <laughs> I love that. You know, this past week was Rock the Universe. Big Christian event and stuff. And when I was a youth pastor, I took like the worst kids, but I added a line to my permission slip saying, if you act stupid, I'm allowed to beat you. And I made sure parents signed that. I saw like kids being stupid this weekend. And what was fun is I walked up to them. I was like, guys, come here. I was a youth pastor 30 years. I'm a pastor now. Right now I'm, I'm working security here. But can I tell you that those guys inside that park, this is the night they hate the most. Stop making my Jesus look bad and act right. And if not, you see that badge, I'll find you. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, we, we, need, we need to be a light. We need to disturb our cities. We need, <coughs> we need to show a difference because it costs the culture. But listen, truth is going to cost you too. Because the world's not going to want to hear it. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you a job. Because the world doesn't want to hear it. It cost Paul and Silas their freedom for a little while. They were beaten. Whole crowd against them. They, they were beaten with rods. and They were flogged. And then they were thrown in prison. And not just like a little jail. They were taken to the inner part and shackled down there. Truth is going to cost us. And I want you to understand that anybody that ever gets up in front of you and preaches like, hey, if you just follow Jesus, everything's going to be peachy. It's not what my Bible says. Jesus said, in this world you have trouble, but thanks be to God, I have overcome the world. Listen, a little momentary, momentary affliction right now cannot even compare to the glory we'll know for eternity. And when we speak the truth, we get a target. When we stand for truth, we get a target, especially in a culture today that says, I don't like your truth. I don't like your truth that God created marriage and it doesn't matter what anybody says that he defines it. That God created sexuality. God created gender. God created all those things. God created what justice is. God created all that stuff. Those things are set in stone and people don't like that. And that's okay, but we're still going to stand upon that because I stand on this word. I tell you every morning that this is the only authority I have. This is the only measure of truth. This is the measure for all other truths. And when we do that, it's going to cost us. But look how much it costs Jesus. How dare us hold the truth back? How dare us? Because it's going to, we are, listen, I, I believe, look, the church is on public trial right now. The only news we ever hear about the church and, and God's people is the bad stuff. It's about these things going wrong and these people, that they, they took money or they had an affair or they, they're abusing this or abusing that. That's the only thing they want to put on the news. No one wants to put on about the churches that are still in Haiti helping them dig out rubble 
that are still that stayed in New Orleans after Katrina. You, after all the movie stars left and everybody that was raising money left, they were still there serving people. About the people that are giving their lives away in all these different places in the world that are sacrificing everything just for the hope of the gospel for people. We don't hear about any of that stuff. Because the church is on trial. We will always be on public trial. That's why I think it's so important. That's why Titus 2.7.8, it talks about, you know, when you teach and whatever you do, show integrity so our enemies will have nothing bad to say against us. They're always going to try to find something. But if we're standing on truth, those things are going to drop on deaf ears because they're going to know this is truth and they're going to see it. But it's going to cost you. I want you to be aware of that, but I don't want you to be afraid of it. So how do we respond? How do we respond when the world comes against us? I've heard that for years, like everyone's against the church, and I've seen people like, all right, we're going to circle the wagons, and we're just going to sit in here, and we're going to wait it out. It's like a bunch of preppers. You ever see those shows? Those guys that are prepping for doomsday? Everything, I, I love it. Whenever my friend, one of my friends, he's like, I got another gun. I said, if you start storing food, you're a prepper. We lock ourselves up, and we do all this stuff, and we say, well, we're just going to be in our little holy huddle in our bubble and protect ourselves, and, and we're, we're not going to take anything. That's not the church. I look at the world and say, bring it. Greater is in in me than he that's in the world, so bring it. Whatever you're going to do, whatever it costs me, it doesn't matter because I've got glory waiting for me. Bring it. So how do we respond when the world comes against us? Look at verse 25. It says that, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. Look at this. Paul and Silas beaten, abused, didn't do anything wrong. They they actually, later on, if you read the end of this chapter, they go up. It was illegal what they did. They're like, we're Roman citizens. You're not allowed to do this. And it terrified everybody. All they were doing was preaching love and hope and and just speaking truth. And then they were beaten and thrown in jail and stuff. And instead of doing what we often do when things are bad and things are hard and people are talking bad about us and the church and everything, we have our little pity parties. What are they doing? They're praying and praising. They are singing. And everyone's listening. I think one of the marks of a true follower of Christ is that no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on in our lives or in this world, we sit there and say, I still have something to praise. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And it doesn't matter what this world does to me because, man, I have something to sing about. If you don't have anything to sing about, you and I need to talk about the Jesus that I know and the Jesus you know. Because there is always something to sing about. And I love, man, they were, they were down. None of us, you go to your office, you go to your school, and you tell somebody about Jesus, and they look at you and say, don't do that. We don't like that here. You may lose your job. You may lose it. That ain't nothing. Paul and Silas, they got beaten with rods. <laughs> they got cast into the inner prison, and yet they still sang. 
Is your faith that evident in you? Is it that strong in you that no matter what's going on, whatever's happening in your life, all the things that seem so overwhelming? Can I tell you something? If, if life is overwhelming you right now, then your God is way too small because my God is bigger than anything that this world can do, anything that can happen. My God is bigger than all of it, and he is never overwhelmed. He is never surprised. And so we should always be singing. I love one of my favorite people is Charles Spurgeon. He says this, it is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of man. I love Paul and Silas in the midst of all that. They probably couldn't even sleep. They were so sore. They were still just singing and praising. Tell you something, that's when the world looks at us and say, that's real. When everything in your life is just going into chaos and you're still praising and you're still living hopeful. That's when the world says, that's what I want. And not only that, look at look what it says. It says, when they praised. And they sang, an earthquake came. It shook the whole prison so much that all the chains fell off. The doors swung open. You're like, oh, yeah, God saved them. God is rescuing them. It's perfect. Look at verse 27, 28. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew a sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. By the way, in Roman law, if you're prisoners, if you were on guard duty and they escaped and they left, then you were to receive the punishment that they were. And so obviously there were some bad people in that prison. Not only you and your family would be punished. And so this jailer doesn't know what's going on. The earth shakes. The doors swing open. He hears chains dropping. He's like, they're all gone. Well, Instead of having this publicly, I'm just going to take care of it myself now. And I love, what does Paul go? He's like, hey, wait. <laughs> they could have run. Obviously, it was a supernatural act. I don't believe in anything called coincidence. I don't think you're like, wow, isn't that amazing? As soon as they sang, the, the prison's doors opened up and there was an earthquake. No, I think God had a plan. And they could have run because God obviously freed them, but they stayed. I love that Paul looked at that, he saw that, and there was something more important than his personal freedom. There was a jailer in there that didn't know Jesus. How many times do we put our self-interest above something that's a lot more important than the eternity of everybody else that's around us? Because don't we? We have our preferences, don't we? We like our music. We like our seats. We like the temperature set just right. We like this. We like that. We have our preferences, and we get so wrapped up in, like, this is what I want. I love that Paul and Silas, they could have walked out of there, and they said, no, there was something more important. See, because in the end, it wasn't Paul and Silas who was imprisoned. It was the jailer. All these people that treat you bad because of your faith are doing what they only know because they don't know Jesus. We expect people that don't know Jesus to act right. How? If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't act right. And half the times with the Holy Spirit, we don't act right. 
there was something more important than Paul, and they stayed there. Over and over, we read in Scripture in the New Testament, Paul says, you know, I set aside my freedom for the cause of this, for these people. I set aside my comfort because there's something that's more important. If this church is about us just being a holy huddle, then can I tell you, can please, let's close the doors. If, if it's not about reaching people, if it's not about furthering God's kingdom, then please, let's just, let's just stop acting. I have a good friend. He was a pastor way out past Groveland. And he looked at his church one day and he says, listen, do you want a chaplain or a pastor? We want a chaplain. He says, okay, here's my resignation letter. I'm not called to be a chaplain. I'm called to go into all the world and make disciples, telling everyone I know about Jesus. I'm calling to lead a church that does the same thing. And there are so many people that are more important than, than how comfortable, what style music, or how big our building is, or what programs we offer. There are so many people out there that so desperately need them that are imprisoned. Our chains are off. Theirs are still on. The only difference is they don't know unless we speak the truth to them. We, we have to do that. We have to respond with praise. We have to respond with love. We have to respond because when the truth hits, it transforms lives. When the truth hits, it, it does something amazing in the lives of people. Not because of us, not how eloquent we are, or how smart we are, or what we have, or, or how popular we are. It is the truth that changes lives. Look at verse 29. Paul and Silas didn't leave in 29. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. You see, it wasn't Paul and Silas. It wasn't how talented or how good they talked. It was the movement of God. And when, when people see the power of God in your lives, when you're living out and facing everything that life throws at you with joy and with peace and with power, and people see that, they are drawn to it. When others see God's power in us, they see the need in themselves. This is why I've always pushed and I yell and I say, come on, share the gospel. Tell your story. Tell them what God has done in your lives. Let God do the rest. Just, just show them how great God is in your life. Because when people see that, people are like, that's what I want. That's what I need. I believe that with all my heart. The gospel works. We don't have to add anything to it. We don't have to package it up in any special way. We don't have to do anything. We just have to share it and live it. And it works. It changes lives. It always has and it always will. And people see that and they see their need. Listen, I've been at places when we were in the desert years and years ago during Desert Shield Desert Storm. I remember one night there was a sandstorm. Blocked out all the stars and the moon. And if there was moon and stars out at night in Saudi Arabia in the middle of the desert, it was like daylight. You could see everything. But, man, if there was nothing, it was you couldn't see your hand six inches in front of your face. You want to talk about darkness? A darkness you could feel it was so dark. And I remember one night it was so dark and everything. People were just like, I can't see anything. We don't know what's going on. And one guy just turned on one little light. 
and it was amazing. Everyone in the camp kind of like all huddled. <laughs> we were all, we were moths, you know. We were like, ooh, flame. We all just went towards it. Because darkness was fleeing. When people see the power of God in you, the light of God in you, when we are doing what Jesus said to be a light to the world, people are drawn to it. Because none of us, none of us really like the darkness. When they see the power of God. But for us to have that, we have to be ready. What would have happened if this guy came up and said, hey, um, what do I need to be saved? And Paul and Silas were like, you know, I, I don't know. These changes fell. We're kind of tired. Can we talk about it tomorrow? You know, <laughs> we got beaten. We have always have to be ready. I love it. That's what it says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but honor the Messiah's Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for that hope that is in you. I live for those moments. I love those moments when people come up to me at Universal and they're like, why are you smiling? This is a horrible night. He says, well, I have something to smile about. This ain't bad. I get to go to church tomorrow. I get to preach. Dude, you're not getting home till 4 o'clock. I know. I'll take a nap. But it's good. I get to be with people. Well, I'd sleep in. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to miss that. Why? Because, man, Jesus means everything to me. We always have to be ready. And guys, listen, that doesn't mean you have to go to some seminary and get theologically trained and know all the Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. Listen, I took Greek. That was good enough for me. Hebrew, man, they read that stuff backwards. That's hard and everything. I just looked at my professor and says, aren't there like computer programs for this that would just translate it for you? <laughs> yes, but you need to know it. I'm like, but it already knows. <laughs> it can do it for me. I'm not saying you don't need to know all that stuff. All you need to know is what God's done for you. Have an answer for the hope that is in you. And that looks different than the hope that's in me. You just have to be ready. Have to be ready to have an answer. Look what happens when the truth comes in. Look at verse 33. Look what happens when the truth takes hold. It says, the jailer, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into a house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Look what happens when the truth comes on. This jailer's life was visibly changed. Let me tell you something. Roman jailers were not nice people. They had a hard job. Their job was to be mean and nasty and everything. But all of a sudden, the truth comes in. He hears the, the story of the gospel, the message of the gospel. It changes him so much. And he takes Paul and Silas like, hey, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to take care of your wounds. I'm so sorry this happened to you. You guys hungry? Let me get you some food. Is that the guy that says, put them in the middle of the prison. Tighten those stocks up. Tighten those chains up. Don't you say a word to me because I'll beat you again. Is all of a sudden like, hey, you guys thirsty? Because <laughs> I'm different. Can I tell you something? I am so frustrated with people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and their life looks no different from everybody else. Because when Christ comes into our lives, we look different. We act different. We respond differently. One of the worst things on Facebook, man, I just, I, mm, it annoys me when people are like, I'm a follower of Christ, and then they just fill it with like hateful, ugly, nasty things. I just respond to those people and say, wow, that's what Jesus would do. 
and then I unfriend them because <laughs> I don't want the junk on my stuff because it's so thin. Look, it changed him. And by the way, just a little rabbit chair, trail here. It says the family got saved. This doesn't mean that if one person gets saved and, and everything, that all Mac, the whole family, I think they shared the gospel with every member of the family. But what's amazing is that the man led. Can I tell you, dads, men, lead your families. An amazing statistic that if we reach someone when they're a teenager, there's, there's about an 18 to 20% chance the rest of the family comes. We reach mom, it goes up to about like a 30 or 40% chance of the family. But when dad takes hold of his faith, when dad falls in love with Jesus and lives it out, it is a 95% chance that the rest of the family is going to follow suit. So men, lead your families and they will find faith. It's one of the greatest heartbreaks in our culture right now is fathers that aren't leading their families. And guys, I know this, that's scary. It's like, I, you know, I don't know. No one led me. I don't, I don't know how to do Then let us help you. We talked about that last week. Let's hook you up with a guy that's, that's leading his family well that can mentor you and help you. Let, let's whatever it takes. We'll, we'll do that. We'll help you. But men, lead your families because the family was changed because dad was changed. Notice something else. He still did his job. Look at verse 35. It says, when daylight came, the chief master sent, them, sent the police to say, release those men. So basically the jailer, he fed them, he cleaned them up, then he took them back to prison. <laughs> he didn't leave them in his house. He took them back to prison. He still did his job. The, the only thing that, that happened is that he changed the way he did his job. There was a new motivation to do it. There was a new change way. The way he treated prisoners, it changed. That's why I'm telling you, you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary or work in vocational ministry to make a difference in this planet. You live where you're at. You work where you're at because God placed you. Live your faith there and you'll change the world. Live it according to God's truth and his standards. Live it according to his love and what he's commanded us to do. And you'll change the world. The jailer didn't stop being a jailer. He just started doing it better. That's why the Bible says in everything that you do, do it all for the Lord. I'm your pastor, but guys, I don't work for you. I work for Jesus, and I do this. When I'm at Universal, I do it because that's where Jesus put me right now. I work for him, and it's for his glory. Not yours, not mine, not anybody else's. And people, <clears throat> people see that, and they see the light. And so you don't have to change everything. You just have to do it God's way, wherever you're at. See, the truth matters for us. Because the more we live it out, the more it becomes real to us. The more we share it, the more we, we, we go out and, and, and express it. God's truth, it changes us. The truth matters to everyone out there because they are so desperately in seek of what's really true. The truth matters. That's why Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We live in a culture of people in bondage that are imprisoned 
in lies and in relativity and all those other things that are sitting there going. And Jesus says, no, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I love that he says that because he knows exactly what he's going to say a few chapters later in John 14. He says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, and this may sound a little controversial. This isn't the only truth. People speak truth all the time, and it's powerful, and they don't know Jesus. But this is the measure of truth. Jesus is the line, that plumb line for truth. And when we know him, we know truth. We can measure every other truth according to it. And when we have that power, we are free. So you can do things your way, and it will always lead to bondage. It will always lead to imprisonment. You can do things God's way, and it always leads to freedom. Because this is the standard. This is the litmus test of every other truth. So whatever you hear on TV or the radio or in movies and stuff, measure it according to this. Measure it according to Jesus' words. Measure it according, just open it up and say, well, what's the Bible say about that? Because that's the measurement of truth. And when we know that, we have a tool that nobody on this planet can stop or shut up. Because the truth is always found out. The truth is always come out. And it will be one day. As I, I've told you before, you can, you can choose today, today saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to kneel and say, yes, you are Lord. You are God, and I trust you. You can do it now under your own volition, or you can do it when you have no choice, because there is a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I tell you, I would rather do it now than then. Then it will be said begrudgingly. Then it will be said with judgment coming. Today it's saying with song and with praise and with hope. We know the truth, and it's going to cost us. We can't keep it quiet. Augustine said this. He said, when, guard, when regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. You want to talk about a quote that speaks on our generation, on this culture right now? When regard for truth has been broken down, We've made it relative. We've made it like whatever truth is that. We look at everything else in our culture that has been weakened and remains doubtful. We look at people walking through this planet that's sitting there going, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know that. Guys, we have the answer. We carry hope. We carry truth. The question is, is what are you doing with it this morning? Are you keeping it to yourself? Or are you living it out? No matter what the cost. Let's pray.